0: Haters and donators, welcome to The Progress Report. I'm your temporary host, Jim Story, and we're recording here in Amiskwichi, Wiskygon, otherwise known as Edmonton, Alberta, here in Treaty 6 territory. The Progress Report is a proud member of the Harbinger Media Network. Joining us today is someone you'll be familiar with, here to talk about his campaign, it's the regular host of The Report, and the only real candidate in Alberta's fake Senate elections, Duncan
1: Kinney. Hello, hello! It's so nice to be a guest and uh, and not the host, Uh, Jim. Fantastic intro, and I look forward to doing not all the work on this podcast today. I'm really happy about it.
0: Now, the subject today is the Senate. A lot of folks have had a lot of things to say about the Senate, and here's one of them.
2: Today in the legislature, it was my pleasure to introduce Bill 13, the Alberta Senate Election Act. This bill is based on a Senate election law that expired in 2016. It reflects our government's belief that elected senators who have a mandate from Alberta voters are more effective voices for Alberta's interests in federal parliament. Mm -hmm. Our government believes that Albertans, not the federal government, are the ones who should choose who best can represent their interests in Ottawa. When Albertans have had a say in who best represents them in the Senate, they've always chosen individuals of the highest caliber. This law would allow a Senate election to be held as part of a provincial or municipal election, as a standalone process, or with a referendum. The Government of Alberta would then provide the names of our Senate nominees to the Prime Minister for consideration when filling future vacancies, with the hope that he would uphold the democratic mandate of the Alberta people. And when our government passes this bill, I am proud that we will once again have Senate elections in Alberta, and set an example for other provinces on the benefits of having an effective elected voice in Ottawa.
0: Duncan, the project of an elected Senate has obviously been on Conservative's minds for quite a long time. You are the man in the room who is running for Senate. Can you tell us a little bit about the history of this project?
1: Yeah, this is this is OG reform party stuff. Real Preston Manning like being made fun of on uh the Royal Canadian Air Force stuff. Yeah, they saw the Senate as bad, which, you know, is not necessarily bad political analysis. But they wanted to turn the Senate into something that was uh, equal, effective, and elected, uh, and kind of essentially turn the Canadian Senate into a a, a shitty kind of carbon copy of the American Senate, which would make sense – given how dysfunctional and shitty that, uh, that body is. And, uh, and yeah, it's, it's really been a, a political project of theirs since the eighties and nineties. It's reform party. It's Western Canada kind of grievance stuff. You know, we're not getting treated fairly by Ottawa, blah, 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 blah.
0: Now, the funny thing about these Senate elections is that they don't actually get people into the Senate. We've had quite a few of them. Uh, we've only had. Uh, Less than half, of, half a dozen of these folks actually get appointed only by conservatives. So the question is, why are they doing it? Well, here's the thing. The Senate election isn't the only thing people are going to be voting on on October 18th this year. This fall, Alberta is going to be voting on new mayors and new councils for all of our towns and cities. And while the Tories may have most of the small towns locked down already, they're just drooling over the prospect of taking over Lethbridge, Medicine Hat, and especially Edmonton and Calgary. Are so thirsty to control these city councils that they've already been changing the rules to give their teams an advantage.
1: Oh yeah, and don't forget uh, school board school boards as well. They definitely don't want to leave any kind of elected body free of of like shitty conservative <laughs> elected officials. They want to get them everywhere.
0: Yeah, absolutely, especially given all of the curriculum nonsense. Right, the school boards are are definitely a locus of resistance there too. And it, I mean, I'm not I'm not. Uh, holding anything back when I say that they've been changing the rules to give themselves an advantage either. Uh, we've seen changes to campaign finance laws that allow them to that allow the conservatives and their donors to pump more money into these Senate campaigns. They've even changed the laws such that sitting cabinet ministers can go out and campaign for uh, their Senate candidates and the things that they want in these equalization referendums and so on. And so when you consider that context, that everything suddenly starts to make sense. Why have a Senate election that doesn't actually send people to the Senate? Why have an equalization referendum that, for a province that can't actually change the equalization formula? Well, it's easy. The only people howling about equalization and about the Senate are died in the moral conservatives. And Jason Kenney wants to make sure that as many of those folks get out to these municipal elections as possible.
1: Yeah, like, like it really is an opportunity to, you know, raise the bloody shirt and, you know, be mad at Ottawa and, you know, distract people from, you know, how shitty of a job they've done of governing this province.
0: Well, if this was just a series of like National Post articles and and rebel media tweets, I, I don't think I would be quite so bothered by it. But I, frankly, I think it's outrageous that public resources, millions of dollars, tens of millions of dollars of them are being funneled into a scheme that is essentially a get out the vote operation for the Tories. Like that's that's the public's money. It's not to be spent electing Kenny's friends and campaigning on Kenny's issues. Well, okay, Duncan. I've I've done my rent. Why don't you tell us a bit about where your campaign fits into all of this? What's your campaign about?
1: Yeah, so I am running for Senate as loyal listeners to the podcast know and you know, it's it, it's a bit of a a taking opportunity to take the piss, right? Like this, this election is a sham. It is a fake. Whoever wins this election is not going to become a Senator because that's not how senators are appointed. We just saw a woman named Karen Sorensen appointed to the Senate uh, through the process that the liberals have set up, right? It's, that's how it works. And, uh, and, you know, waving your fist and being mad that Justin Trudeau isn't going to respect your sham Senate elections isn't going to change, you know, how senators are appointed. I mean, the, sh- the hilarious thing about this is that Jason Kenney was in Stephen Harper's cabinet when Stephen Harper went to the Supreme Court and said, hey, how do I get rid of senators? How do I reform the Senate? And the Senate said, you essentially, you got to you gotta open up the Constitution, which is a big fucking deal. It's a lot of effort. I can't remember what this, the amendment formula is, but it's it's a high bar to change the Canadian constitution. And so, you know, what our campaign is all about is essentially saying this campaign is bullshit. And a vote for me is essentially a vote against Jason Kenney. Uh, Imagine Jason Kenney having to write a letter to the prime minister saying, pretty, pretty please, Will you, will you appoint this shitposting socialist, independent journalist to the Senate? That's, that's it. The stakes are low, admittedly. and, And we're not putting a ton of like money and resources into this but it is an opportunity to fuck with Jason Kenny.
0: It is and I, you know what I think excites me about this campaign too is that it's an opportunity to try and flip the game on him a bit. Because if he's using this sham election to try and push Tories out to the vote, why don't we use this sham election to get lefties out and vote? Not only will it be much more embarrassing for Kenny to see his candidates actually lose this thing instead of you know, if people just go out and spoil their ballots, then Kenny's cronies will still, quote unquote, win, and he'll get to do a victory lap about it. And you won't really care that there's low voter participation. But what if all of the lefties show up and not only make a mockery out of his election, but elect all the people to city council and school board and mayors that Kenny does not want to get elected?
1: Don't discount the fact that if I win this ridiculous sham Senate election, the chances of us having another one go way, way down. (laughs) It would be very embarrassing if I won.
0: Well, that, I I mean, that leads me to my next question, a question that I I do have to ask. Like, are, are you actually going to take the appointment if someone hands you an appointment? What if you win?
1: Well, there's one more Senate vacancy. So so this Karen Sorensen woman was appointed to the Senate. There's one more Senate vacancy for the province of Alberta. I fully expect another appointment announcement in the next few weeks before the federal election gets called. I have not actually applied. I've not gone through Justin Trudeau's special... Um, like you know application process though though i at some point i probably should like i could put my mom down as a reference or something um and and so the chances of me both winning the election and then the the senate election in quotes and then a conservative prime minister winning this next federal election so erin o'toole has to win that i mean those are the steps that have to happen in order for me to even get to the point where it would be even quasi realistic for me to be appointed to the Senate. And even then, and and again, this is the, there has to be a Senate vacancy. So if, if Justin Trudeau appoints someone in the next couple of weeks, it doesn't matter. I just get to put "Senator in Waiting" in my email signature for the next five years. And and, and to answer your question, uh, what would I do if I was a senator? Like like say all the the heavens align and I and I win this ridiculous Senate election and I'm appointed to the Senate. I mean, I promise to like you know shin Féin it. You know like. It, I don't think the Senate is a very effective body. I think it's an incredibly anti-democratic institution and I don't like it. I would like to abolish the Senate, but I mean, if I'm going to get paid $150,000 a year to, I don't know what, what do whatever senators do, uh, I promise to use it in a way that would, um, you know, fuck with the system.
0: So you would not be voting for uh, like back to work legislation, et cetera, et cetera.
1: Yes. I I promise to, sh- to show up and vote against any back to back to work legislation that any government brings forward at, if I was a senator. Okay. Well, this is, this is kind of pie in the sky
0: stuff. I don't, I don't want to lend too much legitimacy to the election by talking about platforms and that kind of thing.
1: There's, uh, there's like a 0.01 chance of me ever becoming, ever becoming a senator. Yeah.
0: Okay, well, let's talk about actually just winning the uh, the scam itself and uh, embarrassing Kenny and getting the letter and so on. I mean, it, it sounds like a great idea. I'm, I'm certainly on board, uh, but it really does seem like the deck is kind of stacked against you, considering all of these changes to legislation, considering you're going to have actual cabinet ministers like campaigning against you, considering that there's going to be Tens of thousands, if not more, pumped into these things into like packs and so on.
1: I don't know how many people are paying attention to the Senate elections. To be honest, I think the media treats them as the, the the joke and the sideshow that they are. But the the one thing that my opponents have over me, which is a party affiliation, when people go to vote in their municipal elections, they get to vote for a candidate that says Conservative Party of Canada next to it, right, and that there's just a lot of people in Alberta who are just going to vote for someone who has their name next to a, uh, uh, the party that says conservative party of Canada. And so that is uh it, it, you know, it's an uphill battle, right? And, and none of the other parties um, like the NDP aren't taking it seriously. Like the liberals, the federal liberals obviously believe in their kind of Justin Trudeau process and the Alberta liberals don't even really exist. They're getting out fundraised by the like pro-life party of Alberta. So it's like, they're not really, not that they would take part in it anyways. But it's uh, that's that's you know where we're at. <laughs>
0: It sounds kind of like that ballot is going to have two or three people with conservative next to their name and one guy with independent next to his name. So is that really a detriment?
1: Yeah, there's like, there's two folks who have put their names, like two elections, Alberta, both of them, I believe are going to be Conservative Party of Canada, Erica Baroudis.
0: She's establishment, establishment
1: conservative. She was like the, the president of the United Conservative Party, like the first president. And like Jason Kenney literally like officiated her wedding with with a riding map of Alberta behind them. Uh, which is a fun Erica Broody's fact. And then the other person that has put their name forward for the Senate is like a like some perennial loser, like fringe. Um, a wacko conservative. Yeah, like a, like a pro-lifer. And then there's some like doctor high-level AHS person. I can't remember this person's name who has put themselves forward as an independent as well, I believe. But I have, I have not talked to or met this person. I have no details on them. So we're at four.
0: Well, the board seems to be set up in a pretty fun way. I, I think this is going to be an enjoyable game to play uh, through October, but uh, I guess listeners are going to have to stay tuned for more updates since we are really at the start of this race. If you are a regular Progress Report listener, I'm sure you'll be hearing a lot about this campaign.
1: Yeah, there are you know a handful of things you can do. You know, we'll have the link in the bio or in the show notes. You know, Kenny for Senate. You know, take the uh, take the vote pledge, which is essentially just give us your contact info, and we'll remind you to vote, and we'll we'll do we'll we'll communicate with you a few other times about the campaign. Um, there's a I have to get 500 nomination signatures, so if you ever see me in person, I very likely have a clipboard on me. Uh, I will need you to sign that clipboard for me, and I need to get 500 nomination signatures. Uh, you can donate to the election. Uh, I get for some reason, Senate Senate candidates are able to give the exact same tax receipts that provincial political parties are able to give. And so uh, I don't know if you've ever donated to a provincial political party, but they're very generous tax receipts. And so if you'd say if you donate $200 to the Kinney for Senate campaign, you get a tax receipt for $150 back. Quarter of all donations are going to go to Treaty Six Outreach, and uh, you know we're going to include campaign materials and some of the you know buttons and what have you, and the street outreach street outreach work they do. And if you don't know about Treaty Six Outreach, they're an amazing group uh, doing absolutely necessary work, especially in the kind of face of the opioid opioid poisoning crisis that we are seeing right now in this province. It is really bad right now. People are dying all the time. Uh, there are bad drugs everywhere and the policies of this uh, of our provincial government and I've just Jason Kenney and the UCP are killing people like yeah. people are dying every day uh, from bad drugs and it is a policy it is policy decisions that are going to ensure that those people keep dying so
0: so if you if you do make a small donation to this Senate campaign uh, when you factor in your your tax receipt it's essentially like you're you're donating to treaty six outreach but then you're you're given a little bonus. To the campaign, so I, I think that works out nicely. There's one other little aspect of this that I, I think I want to hit on before we move on to uh, a little news roundup of this week, which is that the Senate election is kind of racist.
1: Absolutely correct. Yes, the the Senate election is is a little a little problematic. Uh, so the way that the Senate election is working, it, it's piggybacking on the uh, the infrastructure that happens with municipal elections. And uh, so as a result of that, um, elections are not happening on reserves across Alberta, the hundreds of reserves that are in Alberta are not having municipal elections. And so that's like 100 to 200,000 people that live on reserve in Alberta. Uh, indigenous folks and they are unless they specifically requested like it's not really clear what the process is for them to actually be able to vote in not only the senate elections but the uh, the referendum on equalization the daylight savings time uh referendum like you know i know the ndp put forward a motion to properly fund uh you know having the ability for on reserve folks to vote in this in those elections and like it was voted down by the ucp so i'm going to continue to look into this but as far as i know the on reserve indigenous folks are not able to vote uh, or it's not very good be, not going to be very easy for them to vote in this election it's not going to be accessible and so yeah no this election is also racist on top of being fake all right well
0: i we don't have a whole lot more to say about the senate campaign just yet so uh what we'd like to do today is just to to round up a little bit of the news this week as there were a lot of really weird
1: things yeah let me let me take over the hosting bit here jim because yes a lot of shit has gone down uh recently and i think it's worth talking about uh so yeah our government is uh continuing to try and kill us uh dina hinshaw our chief medical officer of health held held a press conference recently that essentially was uh fuck them kids you're on your own um You know, you are no longer required to isolate if you test positive for COVID. You can now get COVID, confirm that you have COVID with a test, and then go to an Oilers game with like 18,000 of your closest friends. Um, You know, you are allowed to do that now. There's no longer any rules that say you can't do that. And and this will help the economy somehow. (laughs) I I don't understand the reasoning behind this relaxation of this rule.
0: The political calculus here is weird. It's really, it's really, really weird. I don't know who this is supposed to appeal to.
1: Yeah, uh, I, I do not understand who they are appealing to with this. I, I think I don't understand how they think the economy will do well if all of a sudden you can just you're not obligated to to quarantine after you get sick with COVID. They're also shutting down um, testing outside of clinics. Uh, sorry, testing. Outside of clinics and hospitals, like the special testing centers that they had set up, those are getting shut down. Uh, there's just like far less testing is happening. There's going to be far less contact tracing that's happening. Like they're winding down those things. Hinshaw is out at a microphone saying that apparently the only information that we need to keep track of is, is hospitalizations and IC, people in ICU. And, and like, again, this is like they're trying to kill us. We
0: know... Uh, by now that COVID fucks you up, even if you don't end up in the hospital, like there's there's a lot of evidence out there that it causes lasting brain damage. You got people walking around in like a zombie state these days, not just because they're stressed out from the whole pandemic thing, but because they got COVID and it messed their organs up.
1: Yeah, long COVID is nasty. I mean, even getting a mild case of COVID could knock you out for like five to 10 days. Uh, and there's still like, one and a half million Albertans are roughly like a third of the population that have still not gotten a vaccine, either because they're not going to get a vaccine, they haven't gotten to it yet, or because they're like under 12 years old. Yeah,
0: the demographics of who doesn't have it is is pretty stark too. I mean, I I think with good reason, we focused on uh, vaccinating and protecting uh, older people right off the top. But uh, we can't just skip all the young people at the end, especially since they're the people who are going to school. They're the people largely who are like frontline workers working in retail, food service, restaurants, that that sort of thing. There's a lot of people to have walking around unprotected when we have right now more active COVID cases than any other province in the country.
1: Yeah. I mean, the, the, the best part is that, yeah, all of these things are being announced as cases are going up from Stampede essentially, I mean, and from other things, but, but it's, it's uh, yeah, it's not great. It's not great. And this brings us to, you know, the former bell of of the ball really when it came to alberta's pandemic response and that is that is dr hinshaw What's uh what's your take on on Dr. Hinshaw, d- you know, doing all of this uh, doing this press conference all by herself. No Tyler Shandro, no Jason Kenny. Tyler Shandro going to the media after the day after this announcement and saying, "Oh yeah, it's all Dr. Hinshaw's dick Dr. Hinshaw's idea." What's uh what's your take on dear old Dr. Hinshaw and apparently it was something that was her idea from the very beginning.
0: I think her credibility took a big big hit with that kerfuffle with the the numbers on Friday. Cuz last Friday uh, we were I think two, three days into when you would first start seeing the results of Stampede and of the restrictions being eased up. They released numbers and they they kind of fudged them. Uh, I don't know if, if everyone's familiar with this story, but they, they had found some cases from earlier in the year, like way back, like
1: January? December or something. Last yeah, December. Yeah. Uh,
0: that they feel were entered in the database in error, like they were double entries or something and so when they released last week's numbers they subtracted these cases from like months and months ago from the numbers and they released that net number at first which made the spike look a lot smaller than it actually was and that was very quickly picked up on by you know the the twitterati who uh go through hinshaw's announcements with a fine comb every time and they were they were like hold like hold on what the fuck you can't you can't just subtract a bunch of numbers from last december and so they, they finally released the actual numbers. But like, there is a perception out there that Dr. Hinshaw is complicit with the UCP administration in trying to downplay the pandemic or hide numbers or hide damages. And her going up to this press conference now this week and being like, hey, we're not even going to track it anymore. <laughs> like, what other idea are you supposed to get?
1: I mean, we've been critical of Dr. Hinshaw for a long time. And for very good reason. You know, she was responsible for how fucked up it got at at the meat processing plants in Alberta. She was working hand in glove with Devin Drieschen, the agriculture minister, to try and downplay those fears and to tell the workers that then nothing was wrong. And then when clearly something was wrong. And she has continued to work hand in glove with the UCP government uh, on their catastrophically bad handling of covid and there's been reporting on this you know by Dr oh, sorry by Charles Reisnell with the CBC that show just how much the UCP is driving this but i mean it, uh, Dr Hinshaw has to wear this too i mean you can resign you you can you you are a highly trained you know phd public health expert you could have had dignity and you could have stepped back at some point and been like i am not going to be a part of this but now she gets to where, according to D- Tyler Shandro, this whole like, fuck them kids, you're on your own. We're not going to test. We're not going to do anything anymore. It was all her idea. And well, she,
0: she could have had more than dignity, right? She could have had an impact. Like if the, if the CMOH at any point in this had stepped out to the media and been like, you know, listen, like I, I disagree with what the administration is pushing for. It's not correct. That would have had a, just a seismic impact on how things had played out here in the province outside of cabinet. I can't think of any one person who had more ability to intervene or more ability to change the approach to the pandemic than Dr. Hinshaw did. So even if you're not completely on board with seeing her as a member of the team of villains, I don't think it's correct to look at this as, um, I've seen a lot of people talk about this as kind of like a, like a harm reduction sort of situation that like, that Dr. Hinshaw is, uh, is holding back the administration's worst impulses. How much worse could their impulses get
1: Yeah, I mean, I think we put this out on the Progress Alberta Twitter account, but it was like, you can't use the excuse anymore that like, oh, if she resigned, someone worse would replace her. Like, no, like, you cannot get any worse than what Dr. Hinshaw is doing right now. Like, you have the Canadian Pediatric Association writing letters saying, what the fuck are you doing? Like, I think I think it's it's a real live question of whether we're going to see like travel restrictions placed on Albertans because of the because of this, this policy decision. And like, you have the Globe and Mail, well, in the Globe and Mail, not the Globe and Mail, but, but someone writing the Globe and Mail, a person named Blake Murdoch saying, uh, quote, the UCP government and their irredeemable yes woman, Dr. Hinshaw, have committed to a path forward that will result in the reckless waste of human life. Even more will experience long-term disability. This policy is repugnant and shows a true disregard for Albertans.
0: You know, I think I used to play Magic the Gathering with Blake Murdoch i think I think I knew him in college uh but but I mean he's absolutely right. This is not the time when you are seeing in the metrics these warnings of a potential fourth wave hitting to to like give up to give up on trying to control things we get, we're, We were so close to the finish line, and we could be just fucked over for another three, four
1: months or more. yeah, so what's your prediction? When does the fourth wave hit? How bad does it get?
0: I mean the fourth wave I think has already hit if you if you look at the numbers it's not going to be as bad as the last one for most people but I think for the young unvaccinated people it's not going to be a heck of a lot better the last wave that we had if you looked at the data around ICU capacity like we were maxed out like we were pretty much at the point where you like could not fit more people in hospitals and that was a a desperate disastrous situation and I don't think that it's going to get that bad because people are vaccinated. And so the hospitalization rate is lower, but you are still going to have young people who uh, could have been safe, get a preventable disease, get long-term organ damage from it. Uh, Like, I don't see how you can see that as acceptable at all. Uh, The numbers are still growing exponentially
1: yeah. Delta variant. I mean, there's a lot has changed since, you know, March 2020. Right. And and the fact that so many people are vaccinated is an un, unequivocal positive thing. Um, it's going to stop a lot of the bad, serious outcomes like deaths are going to go down. Presumably ICU visits are going to go down on this fourth wave. But like is the thing is that this is all fucking preventable. <laughs> if you had a government that took it seriously, uh, say like Nova Scotia or PEI or New Brunswick or Newfoundland, like they provide a model uh, here just, just across, you know, a short plane right away of like how to actually deal with this public health emergency as opposed to sacrificing people so that like the, the economy line can go up. You know what I mean? What's really galling is that
0: even if Alberta was not to adopt all of the proper infection control practices that other jurisdictions had been using, we would still be a hell of a lot better off if we hadn't done the relaxing of restrictions and Stampede a couple of weeks ago, right? That was a very deliberate decision. The numbers of uh, infections traced to Stampede keep going up. I I heard it was uh, 71, Uh, now it's over 80. I'm sure they will find more unless they stop tracing those
1: contacts. Unless, yeah, unless they fire the contact tracers who are on the, the stampede files.
0: I mean, who thought it was a good idea to have a, a big super spreader party in the city, in the province that is having the most trouble with COVID? I, it's fucking insanity.
1: It is, it is. And I think I think we've come to the end of, of our COVID slash Hinshaw section, and I don't really have a good uh, segue into the next section, but it is very funny that Steve Allen, the commissioner of the public inquiry, is juiced up on Red Bull right now, like hasn't slept for the past two days and is furiously, you know, typing and editing and, and finalizing his, uh, his his long-awaited, long-delayed $3.5 million report into anti-Alberta energy campaigns.
0: Now we were chatting about this one, you and I, the other day and and you feel that he's putting in a lot more work. That he's that he's probably changing a lot in that draft that we saw a couple it's, weeks ago. It's
1: it's a it's a quasi-judicial proceeding. He's got to be he's there's concerns, legitimate concerns that have been raised in, in submissions that have been made public. I assume stuff that hasn't been made public anyways. I'm not an expert. I, I think he's sweating it because I don't think he's put a ton of work into this thing. And I think it's like a, it's like you're an undergrad. It's a term paper's due. It's like you've been he's got a cram.
0: I mean I I would get a little flagrant with term papers here and there, but I I think the worst I ever got was uh, showing up at like five in the morning to slip it under the professor's door before he got to work. So it looked like I submitted it the last night before. I've never asked for uh, four extensions and got a million dollars.
1: Yeah, a million dollars extra, (laughs) as well as making like $291,000 a year. So, yeah, so so the Allen inquiry has been, you know, a special subject for myself, ourselves, because, you know, back in 2019, when the provincial election was happening, you know, Vivian Krauss wrote a piece that was referenced by Jason Kenney. And Jason Kenney put out a press release saying, hey, uh, yeah, we're going to use every legal tool at our disposal to fuck with Progress Alberta and um that included the inquiry the inquiry was part of that list this was the this was the vaunted fight back strategy and when the uh you know the inquiry was announced we were we were we ex- fully expected that you know the this commissioner this, this forensic accountant dude was going to grab us by our ankles and hold us upside down and shake us loose and go through our emails and go through our our records and go through our funding and nothing
0: yeah <laughs> that uh that was a particularly weird one, like the inclusion of us in the lines of attack. And I think uh, it's worthwhile for people to know the context of that, too, because back in 2018, 2019, this was before uh, we had started the Progress Report and before we were more focused on um, like journalistic media content.
1: Yeah, we were hybrid. We were doing campaign and advocacy and journalism. Yes. Yeah.
0: And we were doing a lot of, a lot of more campaign style activities uh and during the election campaign one of the things that involved was getting out these stories about these UCP candidates uh right and so a lot of um a lot of really unflattering material about people the UCP were trying to get elected was being sent to us uh often from conservatives who were just like stabbing each other in the back and so on and there was a great desire uh from Kenny to get conservatives to not listen to us, to to block us, to ignore us, to make sure that anything that came out of Progress Alberta was just suspect and they, they would not believe it. And that way, you know, a conservative voter, if they heard from Progress Alberta that kamikaze candidate Jeff Calloway is involved in a bunch of stinky shit and there's a bunch of weird money changing hands and or, et cetera, et cetera. They wouldn't, they wouldn't believe it.
1: Right. Or like here are all the rich assholes behind, you know, shaping Alberta's future, yes. which is like, you know, buying up you know, billboards and the front page of that. Yeah, exactly. And all that shit. And yeah. That,
0: that's the kind of information that we were getting out during the electoral campaign. I think it's really telling in the report right now that Alan spends a lot of time, trying to like change the emphasis of words in the phrase anti-alberta energy campaign because it is absolutely clear to me that during the electoral campaign that label was applied to us so that people who might otherwise hear things from us and then think about them and vote on on the basis of, of that consideration they would like mentally designate us as anti-alberta Mm-hmm. They would they would be like oh well those guys are anti albertan they're traitors why would I listen to them they're against Alberta they're bad guys they're the bad
1: they're the, the, they're the the enemy
0: yes and uh, like that writ large has been the overall project of the inquiry itself to uh, to deem not just little groups like us or Press Progress but the entire environmental movement writ large in some <laughs> yeah uh, maybe with the exception of Ducks Unlimited yeah. <laughs> as as anti alberta so that albertans think of us as like villains and terrorists and don't listen to us
1: steve allen's definition of the word anti alberta inquiry contorts the english language to such an extent that it is unrecognizable uh it, it is i'll just read it to you it's it's, it's so we we got a leaked version of the draft report Uh, This has been ruled on in other, like Steve Allen has publicly talked about how he defines anti Alberta energy campaign. This is not a secret. This is how he defines it. Quote, I find that the term anti Alberta refers to Alberta as a geographic modifier and should not import any connotation that opposition to oil and gas and oil and gas development in Alberta is against Alberta or its interests in any sense. So did you get that? because because it's pretty fucking tortured and it's like he's essentially saying i mean it's my interpretation of it was that anti doesn't really mean against and so so like sure these people might have might have taken a part in anti-albert energy campaigns but that it's not a bad thing anti-albert energy campaigns are not in fact anti anything just just look over here
0: i mean if that was if that was true if that was uh, if that was his aim, then he would not use the language anti-Alberta in his report, right? He would talk about um, anti-bitumen extraction campaigns or anti-fracking Pipeline campaigns or name. anti-pipeline campaigns. And I think it, it he is very deliberately trying to obfuscate what the actual political project was there, which was to carve out a whole bunch of people who dissent, a whole bunch of people who disagree with the UCP administration and tar them as traitors to the province so that, you know, average Albertans would not pay attention to us or would would dismiss what we have to say.
1: Yeah. And so, you know, we did get a copy of the draft report. Um, you know, we did report on some of that. And I mean, the thing that jumps out at you immediately is, Again, he's trying to have it both ways. He's trying to say, "Yeah, these people were a part of anti anti Alberta energy campaigns, all of these groups, but they didn't do anything wrong." And like he, over and over again throughout the document, he makes a, a very specific point to say that nothing bad happened. He does not make any findings of misconduct. He does not make any adverse findings. He this is this is no misconduct. Over and over and over again.
0: I have a feeling that this sort of cover your ass language is not. Going to protect him or the inquiry from legal action?
1: <laughs> yeah, it. I, I mean, I suspect that there is going to be many reasons why environmental organizations and individu- and individuals that are named in the report will have legitimate legal beef with this. With this final report, uh, we will see when the final report c- kind of comes out what's in it. But the stuff that's in the draft is still so wild. Like, there's a whole section on motives, and he spends pages saying, well, maybe these are the motives of the people who are involved. Steve Allen didn't talk to yeah, anyone. Well, why didn't he
0: just call them and ask them what their <laughs> motives were?
1: He has no on-the-record or off-the-record interviews with any of the named groups in the inquiry, like Ego Justice, Pembina, Dogwood, WWF, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. They all refused to speak to him, and he didn't press the issue. The speculation that he does about their motives to fill that gap, too, is Fucking wild. No, no, no. I, I got to read from it. I got to read directly from the draft report here because it, it is it is, it is wild. So here it is. Quote, Throughout the course of the inquiry, I heard many theories advanced as to what is driving the anti-Alberta energy movement, including those detailed in the inquiry commissioned reports uh, that are posted on the inquiry website. Uh, side note, those things are fucking incredible and hilarious. Uh, and circulated for comment during the participants for comment phase of the engagement process. Some suggest it was primarily concerned with the challenges of climate change. Some suggested the movement has its roots in the one world government philosophy. Others suggested that it was a progressive socialist movement. Other theories suggest that the movement is driven by those who will benefit from trading in carbon credits, subsidies for renewable energy, the ownership of rail cars, or some other scheme that will be economically beneficial for the participants. And then there's a few other more, but those are the kind of like most egregious ones. And I just want to reiterate later on in the document, he does not dismiss those theories. He says, quote, Of course, given the campaign of campaigns nature of the movement, overall, it may very well be a combination of more than one of these theories. It is a question that this inquiry did not have the resources to ultimately determine, other than to observe the movement involves great amounts of funding and outstanding collaboration amongst many like-minded organizations.
0: Sorry, he didn't have the resources to figure this out? What did he get, four and a half? five million dollars three and a half but he didn't have the three three and a half
1: to start but then he got topped up well we'll find out what the real cost is i think he got what what,
0: nearly two years to write this thing
1: but he didn't have the resources to fact check whether it was a one world government plot (laughs) sadly i think i think that one's pretty easy to check the the or the the document the draft document mentions agenda 21 uh four times uh There is not a single reference to the International Panel on Climate Change or really like really, any any discussion of like climate change or how bad shit is gonna get uh, at all, uh, it, it is it is an incredible document. The the First Nations section, oh my god, when this comes out, when the final report is out and everyone gets to see it, like the First Nations section will oh, blow god. your hair back yeah. with like there is there is like pages and pages and pages of quotes from a guy named Brian Lee Crowley who is like some muckety muck with the McDonald Laurier Institute. Google a picture of Brian Lee Crowley. He is the like whitest man in Canada.
0: This is something that has been lacking from our analysis so far, uh, because I, I just felt that we didn't really have the standing to to dive specifically into this one or to like, you know, speak for into the First Nations folks here in Alberta. But uh, first of all, it's it's way outside the scope of the inquiry to have a giant appendix. That's like, uh, well, uh, my indigenous friend says that this is not violating the treaties.
1: Yeah, like, it, it, yeah. So he's got a ton of stuff from Brian Lee Crowley that says, oh yeah, by the way, like indigenous people, like all those activists, they don't they don't speak for indigenous people. These people speak for indigenous people, and then and then they quote at length from like pro resource development indigenous folks who exist and are fine. But like that's that's like, come on. <laughs> you know I mean? A lot
0: of the content of that chapter was very familiar to me. Uh, because i saw all of those names and heard all of those voices uh before a few years ago at the screening of vivian krause's uh uh pro extraction propaganda piece oil uh, over a barrel mm-hmm. uh, which if you recall we had a screening here in edmonton uh, it was hosted and emceed by uh ryan jesperson who Friend loves, of the show yes loves, ryan jesperson. loves conversations mm-hmm. uh very progressive open minded guy
2: yeah
1: He's a big fan.
0: Yeah, he loves us. And, we and, love him.
1: And yes, I mean you're you're right to bring that up in that Vivian Krause's involvement in this inquiry is is an open question and I feel like there are more shoes to drop because for some reason on Twitter she revealed that she was paid $30,000 no no
0: that they hadn't paid her $30,000 <laughs> yeah.
1: she had an she had an invoice <laughs> that she was contracted <laughs> yeah. uh and they and they stiffed her she was net 60 or something i don't know what the exact amount of days it was but she was she had sent them an invoice and hadn't heard back and then $30 Uh, like straight payment for services rendered, whatever those was, $30,000. And then another nearly $10,000 in expenses that she was waiting to get paid for. And like no one, the inquiry hasn't explained why. Uh, so that's fun. I think
0: it's fair to describe her as the inspiration for this report or the thought leader for this. I mean, okay. The, uh, cap would have hired somebody else to do Vivian's work. If Vivian hadn't been there, I'm not calling her like a visionary or anything, but, uh, she was the one who was originally driving this stuff hard during the election campaign. That's how it got in the UCP platform.
1: Yeah, she definitely talked a lot about us uh, in that story that I mentioned earlier on. I mean, I'm reluctant to talk too much about her. She's a private citizen. Uh, I, I, what is more troubling is when Jason Kenney and the government of Alberta uses their power to go after organizations that they don't like. And and you know, we published a piece by Martin Olshinsky, who's a University of Calgary law professor, that talks about like, hey, like... This is bad, like the the, the the authoritarian precedent that is being set here is bad and and just because this particular inquiry has been a clown show doesn 't mean that the next one will
0: I think what people really need to keep in mind here is that there are serious consequences for being targeted by an inquiry like this first of all it 's very difficult already to do organizing around the climate in Canada. Uh, in a country where a lot of workers are literally over a barrel, where, uh, you know, their, their livelihood uh, rests on the resource extraction industries, because we haven't built something else up instead. And so if you go out there and you're demonizing these groups that are already struggling to find... Purchase and and convince people, you're already setting them back, but then you're scaring away their donors. You're forcing them into these protracted legal battles that eat up their resources and their costs. Like, for Alan to present this report as though it is a neutral, uh, harmless fact-finding mission is a complete lie. Like, this is extremely stressful and damaging for the organizations that are being actually targeted. And uh, thank God that. That they didn't actually target us; that they were just threatening us. But, like, can can you imagine what some of these other groups are are going through right now? It's it's tearing up their donor base. It's it's fucking with their fundraising. This stuff is is harsh, and it could be turned against some some other campaign very easily, right? Like, you could see Core Blund get hauled before an inquiry because he was talking too much about coal within a couple of years.
1: I mean, yeah, that's the scenario that Martin Oshinsky raises in his piece, right? And and so, yeah, it, it is it is, uh, it's bad. And even though this inquiry has been so poorly run that it's just kind of like turned into a joke, we, the next one could not be a joke. It could be run competently and effectively, and it could really fuck with the way that our society works. Like there's a Sandy Garrison article that talks about kind of the human cost and the relationship cost that these folks have faced. It's, it's not pleasant. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, and it's, it's it's been i'm glad that this fucking inquiry is finally coming to an end but it's going to get i mean they got to release the final report there's going to be legal shit like this story's not over
0: you know when you when you talk about these groups getting harassed i, I immediately think of that time that Robbie Picard uh handcuffed himself to our door
1: yes oh god yeah (laughs) yeah they did a the government of alberta kenny did a presser with robbie picard when they launched the war room and then yeah it's like oh yeah robbie picard fucking zip tied himself to our door and like live streamed it uh these guys yeah they suck i mean i i i want to move on to the next thing yeah yeah okay
0: well well we talked a bit about the impact uh to these groups and their fundraising and on the subject of fundraising there was some big news this yeah. week about the uh, the NDP versus UCP fundraising
1: electoral politics news zing, ring 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 uh, the latest fundraising numbers are out from Alberta provincial political parties and the NDP is out fundraising the UCP by a wide margin uh, so they've outraised them for the past three quarters uh, and in two thousand and twenty one so far the NDP have raised two point seven million and the NDP have raised one point three five million that's like that's, that's, that's substantial.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not like a lockstep Notley booster or anything, but I do think it is, it is quite good that some of the gap is being closed there. Like there is a lot of money that you don't see in those reports uh, because it's going through the PACs and so on and the third party groups. Uh, but it is good to see that the conservative advantage in money that they usually have is, is uh, being ground down a little.
1: Yes, I mean, fundraising is a very good proxy for like volunteer and supporter enthusiasm, and the fact that so many UCP supporters are not. You know, uh, responding positively and giving them giving the UCP money when they ask for it, I think is a very good sign that like they've pissed off a lot of people, including their own supporters. And then and then conversely, when so many people are throwing money at the NDP, uh, the again the UCP is doing an excellent job of pissing off a lot of people. And and uh, yeah, go ahead.
0: Well, I do want to highlight one. Little thing uh, which is a little less consequential than the u c p or n d p numbers but is just great balm to my soul, which is to see the Alberta party getting just absolutely rinsed they got out fundraised by the uh the pro life association of Alberta this year,
1: yeah, they're third place I mean they're way back in third place, but alberta is is a two party province now, right like the u c p and the n d p are really the only political parties. In the near like now that really have any kind of ability to raise money, any kind of infrastructure, you know, you mean you really hope that the Wild Rose Independence Party uh, of Alberta is able to get its shit together. But uh, Paul Hinman seems like a pretty marginal political character and actor at this point of his career. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, I'm, whether Alberta being a two-party state is good or bad, I mean, I will, I will do that analysis at another time, but it certainly seems to be the reality.
0: Better than the previous one-party setup, I imagine. (laughs)
1: Yeah, fair enough.
0: (laughs) Uh, One thing too that I, that I like when I see these UCP fundraising numbers in the absolute tank is, uh, You got to know it's causing a lot of chaos at the kind of the board level, the constituency association level. Like there are people in the party structure who are doubtlessly pissed off right now. Uh, And these are the type of people who are in the position to knife Kenny in the back and, and cause a ruckus. I would like to see it.
1: Yes, I mean you really would like to see it, and when you see the NDP raising two point seven million dollars in two quarters here in Alberta, I also think that, uh, that 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 shows that there's a you know some capacity out there to support perhaps some extra parliamentary uh, left wing <laughs> groups. What I'm saying is we need donors, so if you have a few extra bucks and you like the work we do, donate to us. Uh, if you're if you've got all the way to the end of this podcast and you like what you're hearing, you know the the, the link to the, the patrons page is right there. Uh, but also, I mean, it, it's going to take independent media. It's going to take, um, you know, mutual aid. It's going to take labor groups kind of coming together and figuring out you need you need and social movements as well like you need everything pulling together you cannot simply elect the NDP in 2023 and think that that will solve all our problems yeah I mean
0: I will remind people that we elected them in 2015 and then nurses and other public sector workers ate zeros they ate wage freezes year after year after year after year
1: for two years with the wage reopener. opener yeah like yeah. they didn't they didn't they didn't do great I mean they got language they didn't get fired or fucked with like they're getting with the UCP but essentially we all know that a, a freeze is a cut when you can yes. factor and inflation, right? So it's it's not great.
0: It is good to replace the UCP with the NDP. That is that is a good thing. But you also have to be, you know, at the NDP's back with a stick, pushing them forward. Yeah, or, or they will not do everything you it,
1: want. It doesn't stop with an election, it, and that's why you need a strong civil society uh, to exist independent of the of the electoral politics system.
0: Well, I think we've covered everything for today. Then, folks, if you like this podcast and you want to join the 450 other folks who help keep this little independent media project going, just go to theprogressreport.ca slash patrons, uh, drop in your credit card and uh, throw a few bucks in the hat. We would really appreciate it. I I mean, we need it. Also, if you have any notes, thoughts, or comments you think we need to hear, I'm on Twitter at JimStory and by email at jim at progressalberta.ca. Thanks to Cosmic Family Communist for the amazing theme. Thanks for listening, and goodbye.